Welcome to the Community Church at Lake Wiley's Message Podcast. We are so grateful that you decided to download this episode and listen to this week's message. As we mark the fourth week of Advent, we celebrate the coming of Christ and what it means for the life of the church. Here's Pastor Ryan. grateful for all of you. Um, uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, if you're visiting tonight um, for the first time perhaps, my name is Ryan. I serve as senior pastor here and I've been here about six months. Um, in June, my family moved here from Texas, so we are still uh, pretty new to the community, but so grateful to be with you tonight uh, celebrating Christmas Eve here. Raise your hand if you are familiar with the story, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from the Chronicles of Narnia. Not surprising, it's a classic. Uh, in case you're not familiar with the story or it's been a while, it's about this family, the Pevensey children. You've got Peter, you've got Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. And at the beginning of the story, they stumble through an old wardrobe into this snowy land uh, called Narnia. Here's a picture of what it looks like. There you go, Narnia. And um, uh, when they first arrive, it's Lucy first, and then Edmund comes later. They find Narnia to be a very cold world. And it's ruled by Jadis, uh, who calls herself the Queen of Narnia. Here's a picture of Jadis. And uh, under her rule, in Narnia, it is always winter, but never Christmas. And the children, as they you know, go more and more into Narnia and learn about this place, they come to find out that Jadis is a liar. You know, she's really not the Queen of Narnia. She's a pretender. She's really the white witch pretending to be the queen. And when she hears wind, Jadis gets wind of the fact that, that uh, Aslan, who is the true king of Narnia, the lion, is on his way home to reclaim his rule. Jadis is terrified, and she is furious. And she tries to hunt down these kids and anybody in her realm that she thinks isn't on her side. And Jadis um, is a lot like a real person who was alive when Jesus was born, and that's King Herod. King Herod in the Bible is widely known to history outside the Bible, a very uh, well-known historical figure. He's known to history as Herod the Great uh, because he did these incredible building projects. He was known across the Roman Empire as this incredible builder. So, in fact, the, the Jerusalem temple... Uh, that the, the foundation of which still stands today, Herod the Great oversaw that. That was his brainchild. And um, he built many other things that really impressed people. But Herod was um, kind of a fake king. He was kind of a pretender to the throne. In fact, he was only king because his boss, the emperor Caesar in Rome, let him be king. And Herod had actually made a promise to Caesar, I'm going to be more loyal to you than anybody, including my own people, my own subjects. And uh, Herod also, in terms of his ethnic background, wasn't even really Jewish anyway. So first century Jews like Jesus and the earliest Christians didn't even really view Herod as one of them. And Herod was violent. He was paranoid. He was afraid of losing his power. In fact, historical sources outside the Bible from the first century describe Herod uh, as really kind of this um, deranged person. In fact, um, he was willing to eliminate members of his own family. 
who he thought were a little too aspirational of the throne. So imagine a person like that. When strangers show up in his town in Jerusalem, strangers from the east, the wise men, as they're sometimes called, the magi, and they start talking about this new king. Herod kind of loses his mind over this. So we're going to look a little bit at the story of what happened and figure out what this means for our lives. So if you have your Bible and you want to open up, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Here's where you can find Matthew in the, in the Bible. It's the first book in the New Testament. Of course, we'll have the scripture on the screens, as we always do. So we'll start right at the beginning of Matthew 2. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, I want to stay focused on Herod, but just for a moment, you know, let's talk about the Magi, because they're key players in this narrative, too. We have to kind of dispense with the pop culture notions. They were not kings, um, and we don't even know that there were three. All we know is there was more than one, and they had three gifts. Um, but Magi, that term was a well-known term in the ancient world for a specific group of people, not just in this story of Jesus, but just generally they were well-known. Um, they were probably from the area of Babylon, modern Baghdad, and the Magi were famous in the ancient world for their scientific knowledge of how the stars and the planets moved through the sky, and they weren't just astronomers and scientists, they were astrologers. So they looked to the celestial bodies to tell them something about their lives. One historian described the Magi this way, the lives of the Magi were dedicated to gleaning from the heavens insights concerning human affairs, they were convinced a person's fate was encoded in the heavens. So the Magi kind of spent their whole lives looking up, looking for truth in the sky, guidance in the stars. So why did they make this particular journey to Jerusalem at this time? Because they told us, as we read in the, in the passage we just read, that, you know, we saw his star when it rose. What star? Whose star? They saw something in the sky that was unusual, that was meaningful, and they had reason to believe it signaled the birth of a king in Israel, and probably most scholars believe what they knew came from the Old Testament, which had been written, you know, centuries before the life of Jesus, and especially in the book of Numbers, there was this prophecy that they would have known well, and it's in Numbers 24, 17, it says this, I see him, but not now, I behold him, but not near, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. So this ancient prophecy about a star and a scepter, a star and a ruler, the Magi would have known this. And so they see something in the sky, star-like, that was unusual in the vicinity of Israel, and they seem to think it's about this king. So they take this journey, which probably took a couple of months to get to, to Jerusalem. And they arrive, and King Herod hears about these guys. And they're talking about this king, so how did Herod respond? Let's keep reading. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, meaning the arrival of the Magi and what they were talking about, when he heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet was written. And again, here they're quoting the Old Testament. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So if you're taking notes, I want you to underline or highlight these key words about Herod's response. He was disturbed when he heard about this new king, 
He was disturbed. In the original Greek language that the Gospel of Matthew was written in, the language of disturbed means literally to be stirred up or shaken. He was shaken by this news of a new king. And it's not surprising when we know a little bit about Herod that he would feel that way. Just as Jadis was terrified and furious about Aslan coming home to Narnia, Herod was terrified and furious about this new king being born. So he consults with his experts, the chief priests, and he says, all right, tell me everything you know about this. And they quote the Old Testament and say, Messiah's going to be born in Bethlehem. So now Herod's propaganda machine kind of starts to roll into action. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So here you have Herod, the king of the Jews, who has no intention of worshiping the Jewish Messiah, if in fact he's about to be born. He asks, when did the star appear? This suggests to me that it was an actual thing in the sky that he could see. It wasn't like just something the Magi saw. He's trying to find out what's going on. It was this observable sign in the sky. Let's keep reading, verse 9. After they heard the king, they went on their way, And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So what we just read, that part of the story is kind of the the well-known part, right? The Magi kind of having their nativity scene moment. They're meeting the newborn Jesus. They're bringing gifts. They're worshiping him. And then they head home, avoiding another encounter with Herod. But let's finish Matthew's account, just a few more verses, and see the end of the story here with Herod. Verse 13. When they had gone, that's the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. So God protected Jesus, his family, they become refugees. But Herod is so obsessed with his power and control, he did the worst thing possible. He was willing to get rid of anything or anyone who he thought might be a threat to his power, just like Jadis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And when we think about Herod, we think about, you know, the character of Jadis. You know, you and I are not that different from them. We may not be violent like historical Herod or fictional Jadis, but we are more like them than we might like to admit. And this is kind of a key idea I want us to think about tonight. It's this, is that you are a pretender to the throne of your own life. You are a pretender to the throne of your own life. Some of y'all are thinking, did he just compare me to the villain on Christmas Eve? Yeah, I did. Happy holidays. Um, I compared myself, too. 
I am a fake king of my life. You are a fake king or queen of your life. How do you know? Because you are willing, and I am, to get rid of anything that stands in our way or threatens our sense of control and just get that out of our life, right? We try to summon all meaning and truth from within. This is what our society tells us to do. We define ourselves by our professional success or status of some kind or our physical appearance or some other attribute of our life that we are proud of or that we're aspiring to. And that's how we define ourselves. But if we fail in that area or that thing is taken away from us, our whole sense of worth crumbles because we can't build our lives on those things. But we try to control. We, we hoard our resources and forego generosity. We obsess over politics and try to grasp onto whatever power we can get. We helicopter parent to an unhealthy degree. We uh, cut out a friend of our, in our life who might be slightly difficult. When it comes to God, we ignore him if we feel something about his commandments intrudes into our life. Or on the other hand, we fixate on God's rules and try to get all of them right and you know, check every box so that we do well and God will have to answer our prayers because we've done everything right and we've put him in our debt. Try to control God. But listen, we don't have nearly the power or control we think we have. And, and even if we could have complete control of our environment and our lives, we would not want that level of control. It would make us the worst version of ourselves possible. Let me ask it this way. Do you ever feel like the crown of your own life is too heavy? I know I have felt that. If you've ever felt that, it's because you were not made to wear that crown. You cannot create all your own meaning and all your own truth and control everything in your life. It's not even that you shouldn't. You can't. You weren't made to wear that crown. We are pretenders to the thrones of our own lives. But listen, there is a true king. There is a rightful ruler over our world and over our lives. And the true king is not afraid and he is not insecure and he is not paranoid and he is not prideful. Listen to how the true king sounds. This is Jesus speaking in the Gospel of John. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again, this command I received from my Father. Herod was willing to take lives, to save himself. Jesus was willing to give his life to save you and me. And this is how we know he's Lord, our rightful ruler. So how do we respond to what the true king did for us? Here's the takeaway. Give control of your life to the one who gave his life for you. Give control of your life to the one who gave his life for you. Trust in God, not in yourself. Put down whatever control you think you have. Give up the pursuit of autonomy, which, by the way, is a fiction. 
You'll never actually have the autonomy you think you want. And if you ever attained it, you would find it's not what you thought it would be. Trust in the one whose head can wear the crown and does wear the crown. And if you do that, it's incredible the fruit that you'll see in your life. Look at this one verse in Romans. The Apostle Paul talks about what happens when you begin to trust the one true king. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As you trust in God, the true king, Paul just told us some of the things that follow. Joy instead of sorrow, peace instead of paranoia, hope instead of despair. Trust in God, not in yourself. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, Aslan's return is heralded by the melting of the snow and the blossoming of new life. And C.S. Lewis wrote this great little poem about Aslan's return in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it says this, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You know, at Christmas, we celebrate the end of a very long, dark, cold story of humanity separated from God, stuck in our sin without hope. But hope did come through a baby boy whose newborn cries were actually the roar of this world's true king. This poem about Aslan sounds a lot, actually, like the very end of the Bible, the end of the book of Revelation. And I want to just close with this. These beautiful verses, a description of the true king's kingdom glimpse of the world that's coming because Jesus came into this world. Revelation 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Praise God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you tonight and to think about some of the story of you coming into this world and There's so many people in the story we can look at and relate to, and and we confess that we are uncomfortable comparing ourselves to Herod, but we have Herod-like tendencies to enthrone ourselves instead of you. And we just ask, Lord, that we would instead trust you as Lord of our lives, the true king of our world, and that we would dethrone ourselves in whatever way that looks. It looks different for each of us, but Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts and minds? What does it look like to acknowledge you as true king? I want to pray also, Lord, now as we prepare to receive our offering, that we would just see this as an expression, a small expression of gratitude back to you. When you gave everything for us, you held nothing back.
And so it's just a token of gratitude we give to trust you in that area of our life, our financial lives, where in, that is an area where we struggle to, in, to dethrone ourselves. But we want to give back to you and for your purposes and your glory. Speak to our hearts and minds in these coming days and as we move into a new year. Lord Jesus, the true king of our lives and of our world. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. And remember to subscribe for weekly messages. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you're looking for ways to give to and through CCLW, you can visit cclw.org forward slash give for more information. You can also simply send a text. Text any amount to 84321. Join us in person every Sunday at 11. Directions and address are available online at cclw.org. Have a blessed week.